Now, I'm going to read 21 verses of Joshua chapter 2. So you follow as I read what I think is a fairly familiar story. Here we go. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours... Then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. A prostitute, no less. The world's oldest profession, where a woman has, um, <coughs> she has many lovers, but she's never loved. Prostitutes are bought 
They're used, then exploited, and then discarded. Much love offered, but none returned. You know, when you think about it, guys, it's a, it was a pretty good, um, <coughs> strategy on the part of the spies to come into this city and to head to a brothel. I mean, uh, somehow they, they snuck into the city, perhaps disguised as Amorites, and they headed straight to a house of ill repute. Um, men have been doing that for centuries, especially um, those who were from out of town, you know, the old um, traveling salesman syndrome. Not, not, a bad, not, a, not a bad idea, but their perfect cover, or so they thought, um, didn't last long. Because um, verse 2 tells us that um, within a matter of hours, it was discovered that uh, two spies were in the city. Their entrance had not gone undetected. So the word gets back to the king as to the real identity of these new patrons of, uh, of Rahab's. And... Um, the king's soldiers are sent to her house. These two clumsy spies weren't as good at espionage as uh, as they may have thought they were. In fact, about the only reconnaissance that they had done was the inside of a brothel. And, and all of the spy data that they had gathered had really come from Rahab, who was a prostitute. But guys, not a whole lot of information was really needed. It was enough that they got. Because you see, behind all this this um, bungling uh, espionage on the part of the two spies, uh, and even perhaps their questionable motives for heading to a brothel, it was God. It was God who was behind this meeting. And the result of this meeting is an unparalleled statement of faith. From this story, we get an unparalleled illustration of grace in the life of a prostitute. Now, guys, lest you, um, lest you think that I'm fixated on the erotic overtones of prostitution, I want you to, I want to point out that uh, almost every time Rahab is mentioned later on in the New Testament, she is mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. Like in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 31, James 2, uh, verse 25. She's always introduced, not simply as Rahab, but Rahab the prostitute. And that Hebrews 11 is particularly interesting because you know what Hebrews 11 is, don't you? I mean, Hebrews 11 is that, is that chapter where you get this list of the heroes of the faith. Now, how in the world did Rahab get in a list of the heroes of the faith? I mean, she's a prostitute. 
don't you want to, don't you want to kind of hide that? So that nobody might know what her, what her previous occupation was? No. No, you don't want to hide it, ladies and gentlemen, because the mention of her profession is, is not due to any libidinous desire on my part or on the part of the authors of the New Testament. The purpose in underscoring that Rahab was a prostitute was to display for the rest of us the limitless reaches of God's grace. God loves to save prostitutes. God is relentless in his desire to save sinners, shady ladies, and shady men. Now, guys, you and I may not be prostitutes, but we have a similar problem. Sin. And Rahab's story, as contained here in Joshua 2, reminds us that there is nothing that we have done that will ever take us out of the reaches of God's grace. That's the purpose of this story. That's the purpose of the emphasis that she's a prostitute. To remind us that nothing, no bad behavior on our parts, places us outside the reaches of the sovereign grace of a good God. Now guys, let's look at the story. And uh, try to figure out what it was that took this prostitute and made her into a daughter of God. It's in there. And it is on display. It is a, it is a grand display of saving faith. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at it. First of all, guys, if you look at verses 8 through 11... We're told, and, and let me read them. Before the men lay down, she came up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of the, has, has fallen upon us and that all that happens to the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you went out into Egypt and what you did to the two kings of Amorites, the Shion and Og, whom, whom you devoted to destruction. And, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because, because of you. For the Lord your God is God. Somewhere along the way, ladies and gentlemen, Rahab had heard about this God. Someone had brought her news of what had happened at the Red Sea, what had happened to the two kings of the Amorites, and she had a body of information about this God. Where did she get it? We're not told. But maybe, maybe it was one of her customers. Maybe it was a part of her clientele. Maybe it was one of her regulars. And as soon as she hears about this God, she begins to wonder. 
Is there a place for someone as wicked as I? All she has is bits and pieces. But she wonders. Would this God love somebody like me? As bad as I am? Guys, all saving faith begins like that. It is, it is based, that is saving faith is always based on, on some information, some knowledge, some, not comprehensive, but there has to be a, a certain body of information, a certain body of data. Saving faith is not simply some warm, cozy feeling about God. It starts in the hearing of the greatness of this God. But ladies and gentlemen, you must understand this. Faith has no value unless it is placed in the right object. Gang, faith in Buddha won't help you. Faith in Allah is not going to help you one bit. It is faith in Yahweh. And that is the name that she uses all throughout verses 8 through 11. Yahweh. Yahweh. We've heard about Yahweh. Yahweh. That God. And then, in verse 11, this I'll read it again. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And in one of the most unrivaled statements in all of the Bible, one of the most refreshing statements to be found, right there she says, For the Lord your God, He is God. From, from, from just those bits and pieces of information she has, she now concludes, secondly, that this God of, the, of, of Israel is the God. And she embraces the utter supremacy of Yahweh. Your God is God. Now, gang, the fact that she states that there is only one God and Yahweh is that God... That is a very unpopular way to talk in our day. You don't talk like that in a pluralistic culture in which we find ourselves. I mean, certain people can get offended. I mean, what do you mean your God is God? What about my God? I mean, my God's just as good as your God. I mean, all gods lead us into the right up the side of the mountain to the right place, don't they? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You may not feel comfortable in talking like this, like Rahab talked. But I can tell you this much, my friend. That's how saving faith talks. Saving faith talks like this. That God, he is God. And you know where we learned it? We learned it from Jesus, who makes statements like this. He says, um... Here's one. I am the way, the truth, the life. He doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. I am the way, the truth, 
the life. And then he goes on to add this little statement. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not telling you to go talk like that. All I'm saying is, that's the way saving faith talks. It talks about the exclusive godness of God. One other thing I I want you to see, or another thing I want you to see is, what about the other citizens of Jericho? I mean, she's not the only one who heard about Yahweh. I mean, their hearts melted too. Guys, look look at verses 9, 10, and 11 again. Um, That the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10, for we have heard. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man. Because of you. Now guys, she's not the only one who heard about Yahweh. I mean, and the other people's hearts melted too. The whole city had heard. At least parts of what Rahab had heard. They can never stand before God and claim ignorance. Why is it then that only Rahab believes? Why is it that Rahab believed, but it was only Rahab that believed? We're going to answer that, I hope very clearly for you, but keep your finger in Joshua 2 and see if you can find real quick the book of Acts. It's after the book of John, Acts 16. And I want to introduce you to a person, to a woman by the name of Lydia. You've heard that name. She was from Philippi, or she was from Thyatira. She was in Philippi. And she was a seller of purple goods. Purple is a regal color. People bought that because it made them look kingly. But, but I'm just going to read you one verse. This is in Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Guys, faith, saving faith, always follows on the heels of a God who opens our eyes and our hearts To see that there is only one remedy alone. Grace always precedes faith. Faith is a consequence of grace, not its cause. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Faith is always the consequence of grace, not the cause 
Faith is a consequence of God opening our eyes. You know the text. It's familiar. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is not of myself? The faith is not of myself. It's the consequence of grace. God did to Rahab what he would later do for Lydia. And if you are seated in this room this morning, my friend, as a Christian, great. But I want you to know the same thing's true of you. God opened your heart. That's why Rahab believed. But, but notice again, who is it that God loves to save? Shady people, broken people, wicked people, people, people like me, people who have, um, who have sought love in many places and never found it. You know, um, I've told this story before. I know I've told it on Wednesday night. I'm not sure I've told it here, but you might know the name Steve Brown. Steve Brown was a pastor in uh, Key Biscayne, Florida, and then he left there, and he's got this radio show called uh, Key Life. He's a good guy. But Steve tells a story about um, when he was a preacher that he, um, he was constantly telling his congregation what a sinner he was. And he would tell, say again and again, I'm a sinner, and, you know, yeah, you know, but... Um, one day after he had said something like that in his sermon, a man came up to him after his sermon. He said, Steve, <clears throat> you know, I've been going to church all my life. And I've heard preachers all my life tell me that they were sinners. But you know, Steve, you're about the first one I ever believed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, believe this one too. God's specialty is saving people who know of their enslaving sins. Though the specifics may differ from person to person, yeah, I don't know what you've done. I don't care. But if you could speak with Rahab today, she would tell you something like this. I don't know what you've done. But it wasn't as bad as what I've done. I don't know how wicked you are. But I can tell you this. Your sin never takes you beyond the reaches of the grace of this God. God loves to save the most needy. And you know, folks, if you're here this morning outside of the household of faith, if you're not a Christian, you know what your problem is, don't you? You're not needy enough. Guys, when God got me, he didn't get any treasure. I mean, have have you forgotten the sewer out of which he took us? 
let me read you about it. You don't need to, this is in 1 Corinthians 6, but don't turn. Paul says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he adds this, and such were some of you. He writes to the church and he says, now adulterers and homosexuals and, and, and greedy folks and thieves and murderers, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But you do remember, don't you, that some of you used to be that. That's the sewer out of which I took you. There's one other thing that I want you to see about Rahab's saving faith back in Joshua 2. Saving faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God. But but it, it presses beyond that. To take refuge in this God. If you can, you can see it in verses 12 and 13. She says, in essence, to these two spies, she says, now listen, when y'all get here, I want to go with y'all. I want to be a part of this. This God that is your God, I want him to be my God. So you see, saving faith starts with a certain set of data, information. And then it concludes that that data points to the real God, and then it says, I want that God to be my God. That's the thing that made this prostitute into somebody who became a daughter of God. Now, there's there's two little observations that I want to make and then tell you a story and I'm done. Gang, think about this with me. Chapter 2 of the book of Joshua is really unnecessary in the telling of the story of Israel's entrance into this promised land. What would be far more logical is if chapter 1 were followed by chapter 3. Because chapter 2 is really not a necessary piece of this story about how Israel got a hold of the promised land. The fact that the narrator deliberately inserts the Rahab story right here shows us that it, there's, there's something really special. That this story carries a special significance for the rest of us. Why would he go out of his way to select this story about a prostitute and include it here? Gang, Rahab was no Jew. She was an Amorite. And she was a whore. A pagan, disreputable, immoral outcast. She was an outsider religiously, socially, morally, And God chooses to save her. So that 3,000 years later, a group of people could gather around this story and we could marvel at the wonder.
wonder and the limitlessness of the grace of this God. God delights to save people who know how needy they are. And rich folks, like us, that's a very hard place to come to. To recognize, "Mm, I'm really a needy human being. I need a savior. One other thought, and then I'm done. I'll tell a story and then I'm done. I want to tell you that this thought I... I really owe to another preacher, but, you know, actually, everything I know, I owe. If it's not in a book or on a tape, I don't know it. So I owe everything to somebody else. But anyway, it's called education, I guess. Flip over to chapter 6 in Joshua. Gang, Joshua or Jericho is not defeated. The story about Jericho is not, and its defeat, is not recorded for us until chapter 6. And we're told in chapter 6 that Joshua keeps his word and Rahab and her family are saved. We're told that in verse 23 of chapter 6. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp. What we're told in verse 33 is that she and her family are saved by two young men, the the same two who were the spies in her home who were following orders from Joshua. But I want you to notice in verse 23 something interesting. It says, they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. To put them at an arm's length from the rest of Israel. But that's about to change. Joshua, the Christ figure in this whole book of Joshua... Joshua gets involved in verse 25, and um, and all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And notice the next sentence. And she has lived in Israel to this day. Joshua steps in and moves her from the outside of the camp to the inside of the camp. This outsider has become an insider in every way. To the point that she marries. She gets married to a man by the name of Salmon. And they have a son. And they name their son Boaz. Boaz later on marries another Gentile, a, a, a Moabite woman whose name is Ruth. And they have a son whose name is Obed. Obed then gets married, and he has a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse gets married, and he has a son by the name of David. So, so this Gentile outsider, this Rahab prostitute woman, is the great great grandmother of David, and from His line, that is David's line, proceeds the Christ. Rahab, this Amorite prostitute, is in the line of Jesus Christ. And when he came 
a thousand years later, he would live for her and he would die for her and he would save her. Are you a um, Gentile Christian this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that Rahab walked through that same door of grace that you did long before you. Are you um, are you not yet a Christian? I want you to know, my friend, you are not beyond the reaches of God's grace. No matter how scandalous your life may have been or is, this is a story about how no matter what you've done, it has not moved you beyond the reaches of God's grace. I have sought to resist this temptation all week. I am succumbing to the temptation. I am going to tell you a story. But it's a story that has been told over and over again. But it's an old story. You may not have heard, I mean, it, 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 it made the rounds of all the preachers in all the pulpits in America about 1992. It came out of a book written by Tony Campolo. Um, I told the story, but I haven't told it in years, 12, 15 years. So if you've never heard this story, it is so appropriate for the story about Rahab. Tony Campolo is a speaker. Uh, he lives in Philadelphia, and he speaks around the, around the world, actually. And, and he was asked to speak in Hawaii on one occasion. And when he got to Hawaii, he recognized that his, that his clock was all out of whack. And so he found himself waking up at all hours of the night. And so he woke up uh, one morning at 2 a.m., just, you know, bright and shining and ready to get up. And so he said, what am I going to do? And so he got dressed, he shaved, and he went outside and started looking for a place to get a little coffee and a donut. So he went down this side street to this little greasy spoon kind of place. It was one of the few places that was open. And he got in there about 3 o'clock in the morning. And and he sat down at the counter. And sure enough, there's this fat guy with dirt all over him and an, you know, a dirty apron. And comes to ask him, what do you want? He says, I want a coffee and a donut. And the guy reaches in and grabs a donut with his hand and plops it on the counter. And and um, so Tony, uh, you know, thinking, well, what the heck? He, so he, he ate his donut and was drinking his coffee. And, and as he was sitting there... Uh, about about 3.15 in the morning, um, the door opened and in walked eight or nine women who were all prostitutes. And he said, they sat all around me. They were on both sides of me. And then they were loud and they were boisterous, boisterous and they were crude and their language was... Uh, uh, uh. <clears throat> and one of them that was sitting right next to me, her name turned out to be Agnes. Agnes told her friend, she said, um, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. And the, the girl uh, uh, who was Agnes's friend said, well, what do you want me to do about it? I mean, you want me to throw you a birthday party? I mean, you want me to have a birthday cake? What do you want me to do? And then Agnes said, well, why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you that I was going to, it was my birthday tomorrow. So Tony said, at that moment, I hatched an idea. Uh, a few minutes later, the, the prostitutes left and he uh, called the, the owner of the little greasy spoon over and he said, hey, uh, do those girls come in here every night? He said, uh, yeah, they do. And he said, um, well, I've got an idea. I, I heard that Agnes say, overheard her, that Agnes said that she had a birthday uh, uh, tomorrow. And I want to throw her a birthday party in here tomorrow at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the guy said, I love it. It's a great idea. His wife worked in the back. And he said, hey, honey, come out here. This guy wants to throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow night. 
So Agnes said, oh, that's just a wonderful idea. And I will call all her friends and make sure they're here. So uh, the, the guy at the Crazy Spoon baked the cake. And Tony went out and bought all these decorations for the for the, uh, the little Gracie Spoon diner. And, and next morning he came back at 3 o'clock, decorated the place. And he said about 3.15, uh, apparently the lady there had notified every prostitute in the city of Hawaii or whatever. He said it was wall-to-wall prostitutes in, in, in this little Gracie Spoon. And about 3.30 in the morning, sure enough, in walks Agnes. Agnes walks in and everybody says, surprise, happy birthday, yada, 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 yada. And he said she was visibly shaken. Her knees began to buckle and quiver and she, she came over to the stool and sat and rolled on the counter. And, and um, um, everybody began to sing happy birthday, to, you know, and, and she began to weep. And um, so the, the, the owner of the diner came and handed her knife and said, here, Agnes, cut the cake, cut the cake, come on, cut the cake. We all want a piece of cake. And Agnes said, stammeringly, she said, if it's if it's all right with you, I'd rather not cut the cake right now. She said, I've never had a birthday cake before. And I've never had a birthday party. And I want to I want to take this home if I can. I'll be right back. And so out the door she ran and took the birthday cake. And everybody was just in stunned silence. What do we do now? So Tony said, why don't we pray? So they began to pray. He finished praying. He prayed for Agnes. He prayed for her family. And after he finished praying, the, the owner of the Greasy Spoon came and said, Hey, 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 hey. I didn't know you were some preacher. What kind of church do you preach at? And he said, in a stroke of genius, he says, I preach at a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. And the owner said, no, you don't. Because if there's no church like that, it even exists. Because if there was a church like that, I'd be a member of that church. Ladies and gentlemen, the story about Rahab is not about what kind of church we are. The story about Rahab is, is about what kind of God God is. It's not about the kind of church you attend. It's about grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. When you finally recognize sinful you are. Grace will become your treasure. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us who have already stepped inside this household of faith that you will remind us that no matter what it is that we have done, things that we're ashamed of, things that we would not like anybody else in this room to know about, that your grace is greater than all our sin. And that could we talk to Rahab this morning, she would tell us that God's grace extends 
even to prostitutes. Though not a prostitute, we recognize how wicked we are. And that the only remedy for our sin is Christ. And in Christ Jesus, we glory. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior of ours, would you open their hearts like you did Lydia's, like you did Rahab's, so that they might see the beauty of this Savior? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.